we want our kids to understand how important this is, and Gina has done a fantastic job, and we can't thank her enough for that. So if you got those items, bring them in for us and uh, help us collect for that uh, missionary, Robert Arnold. All right. Do we have any new visitors in the house of the Lord today? Raise your hand if you're a new visitor with us right here at the back. They're going to give you a visitor's packet, and uh, if you can fill out the visitor's card in there and put it in the offering plate when it comes by. If you don't have time, that's fine. You can fill it out and hand it to Pastor Steve after service. Everybody, does everybody have a bulletin? If you need a bulletin, also raise your hand. Bulletins? All right, good. Don't forget, today, directly after service, is the Kingdom Guys and Girls Luncheon down in the Fellowship Hall. And if you're planning to attend the Family Drive-In Movie Night, if you look in your pew back where the collection envelopes are, there's a uh, paper. If you could please fill that out and drop that in the offering plate today. We just want to get an account of who's going to be there and how many so that we can provide food, popcorn, and everybody's favorite, s'mores. It's a fun word to say, s'mores. So fill that out and put it in the offering plate. If you know somebody that wants to come, please invite them. This is for our church family and our community, okay? So that's from 5 to 9. Fill that out, put it in there, and let us know that you'll be here. Did I mention games, bounce houses, food, s'mores, and an outdoor big screen movie? I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Parents of kindergartners through sixth graders, HALS is getting ready to kick off again, and we're really excited because we have a different, pro not a different program, but we're going to do things a little different this year, and we think it's going to be real good for everybody. So if you have a K through sixth grader, please grab a packet out there on that file thing hanging on the wall outside of my door, or you can go to our PALS webpage and fill it out electronically. Um, very important that you get that filled out. I don't have the information because I came on late last year and I need that. So please fill it out if you got a K through sixth grader. Christmas play. I know you're thinking it's only August, but we are so excited and we really want you guys to be a part of this. Um, we're starting practice September 15th, and we're going to be at 4.30 uh, practice. And we changed it because it's a kids through adult play this year, and we want everybody to be involved. And we don't want anybody to miss out on our discipleship classes, which are also starting on September 15th. So please, if, if you can play a part, if you can sing a song, if you can play an instrument, let us know because um, we got it going on and we need your help. We want this to be churchwide, and again, we want this to be a community event where we can bring in the community and share the gospel with them. Because church, if we're not a church sharing the gospel, what are we doing? Exactly, nothing. Um, <laughs> don't forget, the sign-up sheets are here in the bulletin, and it's got a front and back. Look through the parts. It's really going to be an awesome thing. Like I said, it's a very clear presentation of the gospel through, through acting and play. And that's a beautiful thing, because everybody loves it and enjoys it. And we just want you to be a part of it. So help us out with that. Fall discipleship classes starting on the 15th. Very excited for that. We had to change it again. I'm sorry. We had some things come up that we didn't really have much control over. But we are excited to get these going. And guys, we want you to be there because this is going to be a great opportunity to learn about the will of God for your life. And to learn how to study your Bible so that you can live Christ-like every day of your life. No matter if you're at work, if you're at home, at school, at church. Because it shouldn't be different. Wherever you are, you should still represent Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior. So with that, I thank you, and uh, I'll go. <laughs> All right, I just have one before we have our song, and that is on September 8th through the 10th, we, the association is holding a, a Awakening Discipleship Rally. And what that simply means is 
It's an opportunity uh, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night for you to come and to uh, learn how that you can individually walk someone through a relationship with Christ. Not sharing the gospel, but once they've come to know Christ, how do we take them from a babe in Christ to maturity so that they then learn how to share the gospel? So our leaders definitely need to be here. You need to be here. Uh, it will be Sunday night here uh, and Monday, Tuesday night here. We'll have uh, uh, Ken um, Jones is going to be the speaker. He's going to uh, present uh, the, the why, the where, and the how uh, of it those three nights. So each night's going to be a different topic, and I want to encourage you to plan to come. It'll start uh, Sunday night the 8th at 6 o'clock, and then there will be a little fellowship snacks after, and then... Monday and Tuesday, it'll start at 6 o'clock with a light meal, and then 6.30 will be the program where they will share. There will be music, and there will be uh, um, testimonies, and there will be uh, then a, a lesson on how to apply that to our life. All right? Ron, song. 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 Take a handle. Turn to number 611. Let's all stand, gather, and sing. He hideth my soul.
right, as you're being seated, let me just remind you that if you have not signed up for one of our discipleship classes, uh, we have two that we're going to start on September the 15th. One is one that uh, uh, has come around again, and I say that because it is such a powerful study. Henry Blackaby, uh, probably close to 20 years ago or more, uh, came out with a, a study called Experiencing God. And it is a great study. It will walk you and cause you to grow in your faith and help you to see what God has. We've been talking about do we know the will of God for our life. Experiencing God will talk about how that we can understand and know the will of God in our life. The second thing that we need to know is how do I study the Bible for myself? The second way in which, or class that we're going to present, Josh and I will be teaching this one, is how to do what's called an inductive Bible study. That means how do I ask the right questions? How do I uh, understand what it is that I'm reading in the Bible when I'm doing it all by myself? Every one of you should know how to not just read your Bible, but understand your Bible. And we're going to go through about six weeks process of sharing with you and actually taking you through that process, giving you uh, lessons and direction on how that you can take a passage of scripture and study it. Now, what we're going to do is show you a, a very short clip of experiencing God, uh, and then uh, hopefully next week we can come back and share something with you about how to study your Bible. Did you hear that, Josh? Where'd he go? Oh, <laughs> i me to tell him that he's got to do that. You're going to have to leave something. There's going to have to be some major adjustments. And many don't go with him because they don't want to get out of the comfort zone of where they are. God is at work all around where you are. In your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. He is at work. And what we need to pray is, oh God, would you open my eyes to see what you're doing. And when I see, God, help me to have the courage to join you and to be a part of the great work that you're doing. Experiencing God is simply a tool. The one who will change you is God himself. Do you sense that you have any need of some help into that life-transforming encounter with God? Experiencing God is a tool. Experiencing God doesn't change you. The God that you come to know because we've helped you to know how to know him now he will change. opportunity for you to do that to meet the God who can change your heart all right now we're going to go to our corporate prayer time and I got one question for you this morning um, I need somebody to tell me a church that you passed by on the way to 
service this morning? Somebody tell me out loud. Tell North me a Beaver. church. Huh? North Beaver. North Beaver. I, I want you to pray for that church. Grace. Mount Butte, I want you to pray for that church. Grace. Grace, I want you to pray for that church this morning. Our corporate talk prayer time this morning is praying for other churches that are meeting just like we are to worship the Lord, that the Spirit of God will fall upon them as we pray that He will fall upon us. Somebody else, somebody else tell me a church that, or Ryan, okay? You pray for Fletcher, you pray for them. All right, anyone else? What? First Baptist, you can pray for them. All right? I'm not sure. But you can pray for that church. You know which one you're talking about. God knows the name. Green's Chapel. Green's Chapel. Oh, is that what it is? Green's Chapel. Okay. All right. So what I want you to do is many of us, and, and not me, unfortunately, I, I live too close. <laughs> I didn't pass any other churches on the way here. Um, but I, I can think of other churches. Huh? I can pray for us this morning. So what I want us to do this morning in our corporate prayer time is I want you to pray for those churches that you know. And perhaps maybe you didn't pass by a church, but you have a, a church that come to mind when I asked you that. A church that you have a friend that goes to, a church that you have uh, a pastor that friend that's there, uh, a church that came to your mind. I want you to pray for that church this morning as we have our corporate prayer time today. Remember, corporate prayer time is a time for you the, the congregation to know that God hears your prayers just as well as He does mine or, or Josh's or, or your Sunday school teachers or your deacon or whoever else prays for you on a regular basis. God hears our prayers. And this is an opportunity for us as a church to know that prayer is something that God wants every one of us to do. So uh, our corporate prayer time works like this. I shut up. And you pray. Thank you. And he thinks I'm going to let him sing in a few minutes. <laughs> and you pray. So we're going to just bow our heads in a time of silence. And you feel free to pray out loud. Those that I've asked to pray, if you feel led to pray out loud for those churches, or if you feel led to pray in your heart, we're going to have a time. If it's just nothing more than quiet, we'll have a time of quiet. And then I will close us.
God is honored and pleased when we pray the way that we do like this. It is so important that we recognize that God has called His people to be a people of prayer. His house to be a house of prayer. A place where people can come and cry out to the Lord. May we continue to do that. I'm going to ask our ushers if they would get ready and come forward at this time. We'll receive our tithes and our offerings. And uh, my... Cheering section, yes, that's what we'll call him, is going to sing during the, the offertory today. All right, Greg, if you would ask the blessing, please. We'll make sure that uh, you put in those uh, movie slips, all right, so that uh, uh, we'll know how many are going to that movie night. And then also make sure if you put your visitor's card and fill them out, put it in there as well. Come on, cheering section. Well, I thought he never did that play. Josh, I have one. Don't talk, just sing. No, I have one correction <laughs> to announcement. It's s'mores. Not s'mores, like I want some more. <laughs> S'more must be the um, kosher version or something. <laughs> um, hope this song will be a blessing to you.
Well, if he didn't sing so good, I wouldn't let him do it.
If you haven't found your way out yet, please make your way. way back to your seats. Yeah, apparently. I need a shotgun that I can just get their attention. Alright, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin a, a, a little study here out of Acts chapter 17. And uh, I've entitled it, How to Influence our, the Culture Without the Culture Influencing You. And, uh, you know, as we're praying for the churches that we did this morning, as we think about it, I, I thought about the fact that there are well over 150 churches here in Ash County alone. However... With 150 plus churches in Ash County with a population of only 26,000 people, 60% of that 26,000 people with 150 plus churches do not attend church anywhere. What that says to me is that apparently we are not influencing our community as much as we should be, our culture as much as we should be. So I think it's important that we hear what the Apostle Paul is going to share with us and show us today as we begin. And this is kind of a two-part message. I'm going to give you a two, first part this week and the Lord willing, the second part next week. But uh, if you would, I know you just sit down, but uh, if you would, let's honor the reading of the Word of the Lord and stand up as we read Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. I want us to read through verse 34. But before I do, I want to say this. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew in Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before man that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We Christians are to influence the culture that is around us. Wherever we work, eat, sleep, play, or whatever it is that we do, we are to be a Christian influence in that area of our culture. We're not to be just Christians on Sunday mornings, but we're to be Christians in every area of our lives and every day of our lives. The culture is either influencing us or we're influencing our culture. In this passage that we're about to read in Acts chapter 17, we're going to see how Paul, the apostle, engages a culture that was not engaging God. So from his example, I want us to hear how that we can learn how to influence the culture in which we're living in today. So if you would, turn your attention to the reading of the Word. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, the Spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the market daily with them 
that he met with, with him. And certain philosophers of the uh, Epicureans, uh, the Stoics, encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a uh, setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him up to the uh, Aeropagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine wherefore thou speaketh is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the strangers with them, they are spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that you of all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and behold your devotions, I found an altar uh, with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship him, because, declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temple made with hands. Neither is worship with the man's hands as though he needeth anything seen. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. And has made of one blood all nations men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined that the times before appointed into the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and we have our being as certain also of your own poets have said. For we also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by the art of man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. And when they heard of this resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. I bet it certain men clave unto him and believed among them were uh, Dionysus and the Apergrite and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Father, we ask that as we hear the reading of your word and the encounter of Paul in the culture of his day, Lord, I pray that it would stir our hearts to see that God is calling each and every one of us to encounter the culture in which we're living in today. And Lord, not in, involve ourselves in the culture, but to encounter the culture with the truth of the Word of God. And so Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your sacred desk. And I pray, Father, that you would give me the, the, the Holy Spirit's guidance to preach the Word as you have shared with me. Father, what we need to hear about how to influence our culture so that our culture does not influence us. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to your hearers today to all of us, that we would hear from you today and that you would move our hearts and stir our spirits, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you. You may be seated. This morning, I simply want to share with you two things to begin the, the, the discussion of how to influence our culture so that our, without our culture influencing us. In Acts chapter 17, we find that the Apostle Paul is at a place in Athens where there is a culture, a culture that is, that is anything but godly. A culture that is looking for and, and looking to new understanding of new things. Constantly looking to see how they can find a new way to go. When I read this passage of Scripture, I am reminded of our culture today. I am reminded of the fact that in our culture today, it is apparent that, that we are being given all kinds of new ideologies in which we are uh, encouraged to adopt ourselves to. And we need to understand how in the world do we live in a fast-changing culture that seems to be changing every time we turn around. And not for the good. But what that also says to me, church, is that, that we as a church, if we are going to be the spiritual beings that we are called to be, if we're going to be the spiritual light, the salt that is supposed to, to, to savor and to cause others to come to Christ, and the salt that is supposed to slow down the decay of others, the question is, have we hidden our light? Have we thrown our salt to the side? Are we no longer influencing our culture? And is our culture now influencing what we say and think and do here in the church? And so looking at that, I want to share with you a couple of things this morning. First of all, that if we're going to influence our culture, we must have a burden for our culture. I want you to look at, with me, if you would, at uh, Paul's burden for the culture. Luke shows us a real-life example of how Christians are to be burdened for the culture around them. Again, go back to verses 16 through 21, and I just want to focus on verse 16 as I begin. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. Paul was stirred within his spirit. I want you to first consider what Paul didn't do when he arrived in Athens. I want you to understand that, that Paul didn't do some things as he got there. First of all, he did not try out the idols of Athens. He did not try out the idols of Athens. He didn't go around and say, listen, I'm going to kind of find out what you guys believe and see how they, how they match up. I've got to try them out to see how they match up to what I believe that Christ has taught us. We're being told in our culture today that in order for us to understand how that, that the culture is, that we've got to try out their culture. We've got to try out their things to compare them to how the things of Christ. And that is not so. It is not so at all. As Christians, we must do our best not to be deceived by the things of this world. As children of God, we must continually remind ourselves that the grass is not greener in the devil's kingdom though it may oftentimes appear to be. In response to our wonderful salvation that Christ Himself has given to us on Calvary's cross, you and I as believers who have accepted and received the salvation that God has freely given to us 
must exercise the self-control and seek to bring glory to God in all that we do as we walk through this world. We owe Him that much. We owe Him even more. Our actions will actually show how much we believe that we owe God. For example, materialism is an idol. Can we all agree with that? Materialism is an idol? Sure it is. However, few American Christians today are being deceived by physical idols. And I really wanted to bring a big hunk of stone up here, and I may do it next week just so you get the idea. Uh, many of us don't carry around a hunk of stone and say, this is my God. <laughs> He's right here. This is my idol. No, but we do, however, have many idols that we have adopted our life to that we don't carry around but that have become a part of our life. For example, the American dream. Does everybody know what the American dream is? Well, the American dream basically is that, that we're going to have a, a, a family, we're going to have a home, and we're going to have a lot of money. We're going to make good money. And now, in, in any of those things, are any one of those three things bad in themselves? Absolutely not. Any one of those things are good things. We all ought to have a home. We all ought to have a family. We all ought to have enough to live on. Not bad things at all. However, what makes that uh, the American dream uh, an idol is when it becomes the all in all of what we're seeking in this life. When it becomes everything that we strive for. It becomes our primary goal that, that this is the goal of what my life shall be. This is what I'm working for. The, the American dream, have a family that is well cared for and lives in a house and is well paid for it and has plenty of money in the bank. When that becomes our number one priority, it has become our number one idol. Now let me remind you that uh, to, to kind of make my point here, um, that which uh, things become our idol or whatever that we view to become our ultimate goal. And now Jesus had something to say about that and let me take you to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he says to us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and then all these other things shall be added unto you. Notice what he does not say. Seek the American dream first, and then if you have any time, energy, or, or any desire left, you come follow me. The idea is that we're to seek the things of God, and God says that when we put him first, Jesus said he has got to have the first place in our life, the preeminence, the place where he is number one to us. Everything else pales in comparison. My friends, we have been caught up in the American dream and whatever your idea of the American dream is, whatever it might be, if it's become your all in all, everything that you're striving for, if God begins to be placed on the back burner of your life so that your family can be a, a, a sports family, your family can be a, 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 you know, a, an entertainment family, or your family can be a vacation family, that vacation or sports or or, or work, or whatever it might be, takes the preeminence of God's place in our life. When we put those things before we put our devotion to God, they have become our American dream idol. 
And the Apostle Paul tells us that when he got to Athens, he didn't try out the gods, the idols that were there. He simply viewed that which was there. And in that, he saw the wholeness of the city was taken over by the idea of idolatry. And it broke his heart. With that definition in mind, how many Christians do you think today are unknowingly worshiping idols today? Well, the answer would simply be too many. The Apostle Paul didn't add those idols to his worship of God. And Christians today must not add the idols of their, to their worship of God as well. God cannot take second place to us, my friends. He must be first place in our life. He must have the preeminence. He must have the desires of our hearts. And that of, of everything else must come second. If not, we've got our priorities wrong. And when we get our priorities wrong, we create idols in our life. We may be doing it unknowingly, but from today forward, you know what God says. And we must make a change. Christians must be about God's glory alone. The devil will do whatever he can to make the grass in his kingdom look greener than the grass in God's kingdom. But let me remind you, my friends, it never is. It only appears that way. The second thing that I want you to see is that consider what Paul did do in Athens. We see that what he didn't do, he didn't, he didn't adapt his life to the, to the idols. He didn't try out their, their ideologies. He didn't try out their ways of doing things. But he looked upon them and then he allowed it to break his heart. So let's consider what he did do. He was moved to respond with a burden. Now, many of us are burdened about our culture. I would dare say that if I were to ask you to raise your hand, most of you would say that I'm burdened about my culture. I'm burdened about where I see our country going and where I see our society going and where I see our families are going and where I see this, you know, all of these different things going. But can I tell you that being burdened is never enough? It wasn't enough for Paul and it can't be enough for us. If all we are is burdened about our, our culture and we're doing nothing to make it change, then we're just burdened, but we're not changing. You see, being burdened about our culture isn't enough. We must be willing to spring into action. If we are silent about what the truth that can change things, then our culture will not change. When we as Christians hear some of the music and we see some of the movies in our culture today, our godly response is that our world is going to hell in a handbasket. What has happened? But listen, my friends, we have a problem. It's not our culture. It's how we're responding and influencing our culture that is the problem. How that we're failing to just say that we're burdened, but yet not burdened enough to do anything about it. Not burdened enough to stand up and say, you know, enough's enough. Or stand up and say, but there is an alternative. Here he is. However, when it comes to Paul, Paul was not just burdened. He responded to his burden. He went to the Athenians' culture with a burden and a response. 
Instead of shaking his head as a holier than thou, disgusted at, our, at his culture, he was burdened. And we too can no longer just look at our culture and say it is in trouble. But we have a cure. And we need to get that cure to the people. Listen, if there was a disease rampantly ravaging a group of people and you had access to the cure, would you not run to them and give them the cure? Of course you would. My friends, our culture is rapidly decaying and, and dying. And we have the cure, but yet we're sitting on our hands in our churches. Singing about it. Instead of going out in the street and sharing about it. And what that says to us is that, that already, already our culture has influenced the church. Church history shows us that over time, in and out of time, that we have been an impact on our community. The, some of the great revivals, the great awakenings had a dramatic change upon the culture. I love to talk about the Welch Revival. I don't know how many of you remember or familiar with the Welch Revival. I love this story about the Welch Revival. It said that after the Welch Revival came through the, the, the island of the Welch, that the miners had a slowdown in the mines. Now, it wasn't because the, these new converted Christian miners were too busy doing spiritual things that they weren't doing their job. The problem was that the, the mules wouldn't move. And the reason the mules wouldn't move was because they were used to being swore at and they were used to being yelled at and the new converted miners had changed their behavior. And it took them a month to retrain the, the mules to do the work that they were doing to talk nicely to them. My friends, listen to me. If we as a church say that we're growing and we're, we're changing and we're doing all this great stuff in our community, but if we don't see our community changing, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here on Sundays and Wednesdays, then on Mondays and through Saturdays, things out there should be changing. And that's what we need to be looking at. Ed Stetzer wrote, for Christians to identify with and to be identified with Christ, we need to do more of what he did. We need to be accused of the things that he was accused of. We need to spend more time, not less time, with the people he did. Can I remind you that Jesus was, was insultingly called a friend of sinners? But Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. He said, I've come to those that are in need, those that, that are in trouble. I've come to be a part of their life, to show them that there is a way out of that sinful life. And Jesus went to them. He told the Pharisees, you don't take a, a well man to a doctor. You take a sick person. You don't take a savior to the righteous. You take them to the sinners. And so Stetzer said that we as Christians need to be not less involved in our culture, but more involved with the people of our culture so that they can see Jesus in us. When we respond in love to those who are in trouble, with love and truth, we will influence our culture to make the changes necessary. The second thing that I want you to hear today is we need to become aware of our culture. 
Luke shows us in, in Acts chapter 17 and verses 22 and 23. Look at what he says. And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too spiritual or superstitious. Now, what that really means is that they're too religious. It means that they have all these religious ideas. And then he goes on in verse 23 and he says, For I passed by, and behold, there was a, a devotion. There was a, a plaque. And I found an altar to, in an inscription that said, to an unknown God. Now, there was a deity that they didn't know much about, but they'd heard about, but they weren't sure about, but yet they wanted to cover all their bases, so they put it out there as being just another one of the idols which might help them in the end. And I love what the Apostle Paul says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, I'm going to declare him unto you. Do you hear what Paul said? The world does not understand who Jesus is and it's our job to declare him unto them. It's our job. So I want to talk about the fact that we need to become aware of our culture. We need to understand our culture. Luke shows us the real example of how Christians should recognize their culture's inconsistencies. Can I tell you that our culture is living in a world of inconsistencies? They can't make up their own mind what, what is right and what is wrong. Every time we turn around, they're changing their definition. They're changing their understanding. They're changing their ideology. Why? Because they're uncertain of what they're even thinking and of what they're saying. And so their, their inconsistencies bring them to a place where it's an open door of opportunity for us. And that's what I want you to hear. Paul realized that the Athenians were a very religious group. Paul observed his culture uh, and, and, and was caring enough to seek out to understand their inconsistencies. Over the years here in America... There has developed an anti-intellectual, anti-culture mentality within the evangelical culture of the church. Now, I know that's a lot of big words, but let me tell you what it means. It means that we have, over the years, across the board, we have Christianized everything that we could get our hands on. Now let me just give you a few examples. We have Christianized music. We now say there are such things as Christian music. There are such things as Christian movies. There are such things as Christian television stations. There's even such things as Christian tools. You know, that the Christians use. And what we have said is we have taken the holidays of the world and we have Christianized them. And we have said, we don't do trick or treat. We do trunk or treat. We've Christianized it. We've put a holy blessing upon it. We've done the same thing with Christmas, with all the other cultural holidays. We've put our own Christian spin upon them. Simply to say that what we've done is we've said, if you don't do it our way, the Christian way, you're doing it the sinful way, you sinners. Really? 
I don't remember Paul doing that. I don't remember Jesus doing that. I think it's a problem in our, in our society today. For some reason, we have withdrawn as Christians from our society and we have been viewed as godly. Oh, the godly people don't do those things. Wait a minute. For some reason, we have this idea that being separate from our culture makes us godly. We don't have to participate in the ungodliness of our culture. But my friends, we do have to be in our culture to understand our culture. Let me read John chapter 17 and verses 14 through 16 for you just to make my point. Jesus was addressing his disciples and here's what he said to them. I haven't given them thy word and the world has hated them. So I've given them the word and now the world hates them. Because they are not of the world anymore. Even as I am not of the world, pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil in the world. That they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. Have you heard the idea that we're to be in the world, but not of the world? That's what Jesus was saying. We have to live in the society, in the world in which we have. We, Jesus told his disciples, go out and live among the world. But just don't be in the world. Don't be of the world. Don't do what they do, but live among them. Again, Ed Stetzer said this. Christians need to recognize that the holiness is separation from sin, not separation from sinners. Put it another way, holiness does not mean separation from people in our culture around us, but separation from the sin in our culture around us. If we're going to understand our culture's inconsistencies, then we're going to have to take time to understand what our culture is thinking. All of these extra boundaries that we as Christians have put on the world around us in our, our lives actually hurt our engagement in our culture more than they help. Putting the boundaries saying that we, we got to watch Christian movies, we got to watch this, and we got to go to Christian places. Now, there's nothing wrong with all those. But if all we're ever doing is hanging around with those that we call our brethren, how are we ever going to influence the world? who is not. And so, as we look at it, Paul knew these Athenians were very religious because he witnessed their idols. Paul didn't stick his nose up in the air trying to Christianize the pagan festivals, nor did he uh, paganize their, their, or try to Christianize their pagan forms of worship. He simply observed them, finding their inconsistencies, and then responded by telling them the truth of who could change their inconsistencies. He simply observed and then responded. We too must observe our culture. Let us always realize that it is what comes from out of a man, not what we goes into a man that defiles us as our character. You know, Jesus was criticized by the religious leaders because he and his disciples had eaten food without washing their hands. And, and according to them, that's what defiled him. And I love what Jesus said. Boys, you got it all wrong. 
He said in, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 11, that which goes in the mouth doesn't defile a man. But that which comes out of his heart is what defiles that man. It's what you're thinking, what you're, what you're saying, what you're feeling that is ungodly. That's what defiles us. We must submit to God's word first, our conscience second, while always holding fellow Christians accountable to God's word, never accountable to our conscience. And I'm afraid that too many of us have got that backwards. We think our conscience and our ideologies outweigh the word of God. You know why? Because the word of God sometimes makes us feel convicted. And we don't like it. But my conscience can be convinced that I'm okay. Paul realized that the Athenians were struggling. Paul realized that the uh, Athenians knew that they didn't know everything about the idols in which they were worshiping. So Paul observed unto them that the Athenians had a, a, a marker of a, an unknown God. It was just a plain rock. And God said, or Paul said to them, he's the unknown God. Though they were very religious, they didn't understand what they were doing about everything that they were doing. So Paul knew that this acknowledgement of his unknown God by the Athenians was an indirect admission that we have some uncertainties about how we're worshiping. Again, an open opportunity for the Apostle Paul to present to them the truth in love. My friends, we're living in a day and a time in our world today when so many of our people are struggling. So many in our world are, are, are being bombarded with so many ideologies that they don't know which is right and which is wrong. And they're looking for someone to tell them the truth in love. And that someone has got to be the church. It's got to be us. And the only way that we're going to know the truth is not by studying their, their, their idols, but by studying the truth. If you and I will spend more time studying God's word, we will know and recognize the inconsistencies that people are having and how to tell them in love the truth. Paul acknowledged their spiritual questions like, just like today, the world is believing in everything. Paul understood their views that, was, that, that they needed and then brought them back to Jesus. Paul did this again in Acts chapter 13, a few chapters back, where he was speaking to the Jews, just the Jews. He starts at the very, a very different place with the Jews than he does with the Athenians but he ends up at the exact same place. He ends up by building a bridge from culture to bloody cross and empty tomb. My friends, the world does not need to know what you think. Okay? It does not care what your political understandings are. It does not need to know what you think culture ought to look like. What the world needs to hear is what this book says about Jesus Christ and what He's come to do and where He is right now and how He has come to live, love, and die for them 
and rose again. They need to hear the truth of Jesus. So let me close with this. As the Apostle Paul calls him to a place of repentance, the how of influencing our culture and in some ways is determined by the who, the when, and the where of the people in which we're talking to. Look to understand the actual questions that people are asking. We're so busy condemning them for their actions that we're not hearing the questions that they're asking. Many of them are asking, is this the right way? Is there a better way to live? Is there a better way to have relationships? Is there a right way to have relationships? Is there right people to have relationships with? Our culture is asking questions, but we're so busy pointing our fingers and wagging our heads that we're not listening. Culture is where we live. We don't adapt to everything. However, there are some things in every culture that are positive, and we should adapt to them. For example, family. Family is one of those things that we need to have. Other things that we can adapt to, we have to adopt some, we have to adapt some. Clothing and music, we can adapt. We can adapt it to our kind of thing. We don't have to dress like everybody else. We don't have to listen to what everybody else listens to. We can live differently and yet look similarly. And there are parts of every culture that we must reject. Jude 3 tells us to contend for the faith. To do what Jesus did and what He's done for us. Church, there is a balance. There is a balance to all of these. If we're going to influence our culture without our culture influencing us, we need to ask God to give us not only a broken heart for what breaks His heart, but a desire to go out in love and tell them there is a difference. Now I encourage you to come back next week as we're going to talk about how do we do that. I want to give you some practical things of how that we do that next week. My friends, our culture needs us. Not to sit in here and talk about our culture. But our culture needs us to learn the word of God so that we can go out and live among them and tell them the truth that will set them free. So Tammy, would you come and... and, and Play something. I'm not particular today. But if you're here this morning and perhaps maybe you need to uh, pray about the culture around you. Maybe there's something that, that you know has influenced you and affected you in this culture. And you need to ask God uh, to do something with you or with someone in the culture. You come and pray for them and for yourself today. If you're here this morning and, and you'd like to join the church and be a part of the church... And Pam, you come on and join again. <laughs> Just kidding. Good to have Pam and Randy back. But if you're here this morning and you need to be a part of the work in which we're doing here at the church, you come and we'll uh, talk to you about church membership. If you're here this morning and, and, and you don't know the, the Savior of the world, the one who died, who rose again, 
who paid the penalty for your sins and mine, who is now ascended into the right hand of the Father saying, I can't wait until you receive me so that you can then be a part of my family and that you will have an eternal home with me? Then you come and Josh and I will be glad to share with you what the Bible says and how that you can break free from the sin that keeps you bonded to Satan and set you free so that you can have eternity with Jesus. As Tammy begins to play, everybody stand to your feet and as you bow your heads and deal with God, whatever it is that you need to do this morning.